Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Business of Agriculture. It's me, Damian Mason, but you knew that already. Remember, the Business of Agriculture is not just an audio podcast anymore. We've gone video for the last several months. So go to D. Mason Comedy, that's my YouTube channel, or just go on YouTube and type in Damian Mason. You'll find it. There's a bunch of playlists, my live presentations and uh, agricultural commentary, and also the playlist for the Business of Agriculture. I'd like you to go ahead and subscribe. Doesn't cost you anything, and it'll help my searchability so that more people can find find this wonderful information. Today we're going to talk about groceries and what rising food prices will mean for all of us, not just those of us in the business of agriculture. This episode, like so many others, is sponsored by Harvest Profit. If you don't know about Harvest Profit, I'm going to read a couple of things to you that you probably didn't know, but you should know. Harvest Profit is a software solution company. It's, um, it's, it's for managing the numbers side of your enterprise. So if you have a farming operation or any other agricultural enterprise and you want to be better at it, manage your inputs, your outputs, the cash flow, the inventory, marketing your grain... All the stuff that business enterprises do that now is more complex than just like using a pen and paper, which I still encourage, but also you got to get to the next game, right? You got to get to the next level of your game, shall we say. Harvest Profit can help you do that. Go to harvestprofit.com. You can get a free 14-day trial. All right, we're talking about groceries, and I covered this in a video that I put on social media this week, but the topic deserves a bigger, more in-depth look because of what it means for our entire economy but also what it means for us in the business of agriculture. Uh, if you didn't see this, groceries have been in the news a lot lately. And we got meat plant closures that then became uh, meat shortages. And then we had the issue so almost simultaneously that then people are screaming bloody murder. Department of Justice is looking into the meat company. So we got that in the news. And I'm going to get to that. But more importantly, we've got a rising grocery bill going on. Uh, This week's newspaper, grocery bills are rising rapidly even as viruses disruptions ease. All right. When you think of agriculture, you think of food and beverage, right? We know that there's the fiber part of it, the cotton and the wool and now the hemp. Uh, We know that there is uh, the timber part of it. We understand that. But when most folks think about food or agriculture, they think about food, right? And that's where they see it the most. Right now, for the first time since 1974, we're seeing big increases in food prices. Give you the numbers. 5.8% rise between March 1st and May 30th. So in 13 weeks, we saw a 5.8% rise at the grocery. Now, that's not just one category. It's all groceries. Uh, Principally, it's meat. Meat was up 15%, but other stuff was up also. Now, 5.8% in the scope of things doesn't seem like much. But in America, we've gotten so used to cheap and abundant food that this seemed to make, again, a lot of news. And it's making a bit of noise. We have not seen a price increase at the grocery like this since 1974. And we'll get to some of the history about this in a second. So we're going to talk about what it means. All right. First off, why did it happen? You're not making any more money if you're a farmer. (laughs) I mean, right? Uh, Commodity prices haven't buoyed up necessarily. 
And then they say, okay, are the food companies making a lot more? Well, in meat, maybe, which is obviously why there's been such an outcry about that. But in general, it's because of added costs. You know, coronavirus shutdowns made it so that food companies had to absorb more costs. They're putting in bigger spaces, installing plexiglass, and uh, slowing down their processing, and keeping people distanced, and all these kinds of things that are happening. It's not just in meat anymore. Uh, just an article today uh, about the fact that produce companies now are having the issue with their workers get, you know, succumbing to the uh, coronavirus, um, uh, you know, getting diagnosed with it. Okay, so here's what we got. We got more costs and we got a slowed down process that added to the food bill. Uh, can you say that these companies are making more money? Possibly. But I see an agriculture that's just going to have a higher priced product and people are going to squawk about it for a little while. And then they're going to realize that it's not going away because I don't believe that these food prices are going to come back down. And it's not because of we, our ability to produce. That's what always happens. They say in business and in agriculture, the cure for high prices is high prices, right? Because uh, supply will rush in to create more product and thereby bring the price down. Well, that isn't really our issue now because we've got plenty of stuff, as we know. We had people euthanizing hogs. We got cattle being held back because of the processing. There's no shortage of corn to make cornflakes or any other product that we make from our grains. Uh, so it's not an issue of the supply. It's an issue of the processing and the slowdown right there and the added cost. So, in general, this doesn't harm the average American because the average American is okay. Certainly the well-off American, it doesn't bother. They're looking for reasons to spend more money on food. You've heard me say that. They're looking for reasons to go to Whole Foods and buy a premium product because it makes them feel good. But rising food prices have a disproportionate negative effect on the poor. If you are not well off, you are going to be hurt worse by high food prices. Now, especially now in the era of coronavirus, a lot of our poor are being very well compensated. Unemployment has actually given some people a pay raise, and then we're throwing money at a lot of different programs, but it doesn't mean there's still not some harm there to be done. So those folks are going to be hurting a bit more. And frankly, the food pantries, etc., are paying more for their groceries as well. Restaurants, etc. So these food prices are here for a while. And what it means for the farm end of it, nothing. We're still going to probably be just fine. We're going to do what we do. Uh, we've got plenty of product, right? What does it mean for the consumer? It means they're probably going to sh uh, shift down. In food, what usually happens is we talk about uh, trading down. Okay, in meat, uh, if beef becomes expensive, you trade down to pork, and then you trade down to poultry. That's what's always happened, right? You go from steak to burger, burger to pork chops, uh, you know, pork chops to a lesser cut, say ham, I don't know. Uh, then from there to poultry, and poultry down to hot dogs. The point is, we've always got this economic equation. So will there be less meat being consumed? The answer is yes. Since meat is the biggest uh, component of these price increases, up 15%, and it's not likely to change and go down by much uh, unless the DOJ does really actually uh, uh, bust up these companies. And that's another topic we're going to get into. There are calls for that. But in the meantime, the consumer is going to go to the grocery and spend more. So they're going to trade down or they might just cut back. In my book, Food Fear, I have an entire chapter about meat and money. The United States of America is the meat-consumingest nation on 
Earth. We eat about 220 pounds of meat per year, an additional 16 pounds of seafood. So that being said, we could eat less meat and still just be fine, right? I mean, there's people on this, on this earth that don't eat that much meat, but we like it. Australia likes it too. Argentina, some of these other countries that are very meat-consuming countries. What's going to happen? Well, the last time we saw meat consumption go down was in 2009 till 2014. Remember the recession hit? We had the Great Recession and the housing bust and all that. So we went from 220 pounds down to 200. We lost, what is that, about now 10% of, uh, of our consumption in meat. So is that going to happen this time? Possibly. It depends on how long this lasts. You know, the Federal Reserve just announced that uh, it's official. We've been in a recession starting in February. Um, so if this recession stays bad, uh, meat consumption will probably actually drop like it did during 09 to 014. Uh, what's that mean? Well, it means there's less demand at the farm gate, and it means that we'll scale back. And you're saying, oh, we're going to go and get some imports. Well, remember, if we're hurting here, if meat consumption goes down in the United States of America, it sure as hell is going to go down in other parts of the world. We're the wealthiest country on earth uh, in its aggregate. So what do you think happens to a poorer country? They're going to cut back on their meat consumption as well. So these are things that I see that are going to impact us. I've got some other bigger picture concerns also. First off, when we talk about the grocery bill going up, there's going to be pressure put on those meat companies to be broken up. That's what I think is happening here if you pay attention. Tyson has now decided they're going to cooperate. That's the biggest American meat processor. Uh, JBS is Brazilian-owned. Smithfield is Chinese-owned. I predict a bigger cry. Now, once we get past all the riots and the protests, but we see among people that know, there's going to be a bit of an outcry that we should do something about these meat companies, that we shouldn't have two of our biggest meat processors be foreign-owned. By the way, the big four, Cargill, JBS, Smithfield, and Tyson. So Tyson has announced they're going to cooperate with the Department of Justice on these indictments about price fixing. Well, there's also some more investigations going on. What if the investigations then become a real, real thumb screw on these people at, at these companies and they say, you know what, we really think that you guys are just too big, too big to fail. Remember, it was Tyson also that put that letter in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal uh, a couple months ago about we're going to face meat shortages. So you've got a lot going on in the business of meat. And meat's getting more expensive. So there's going to be an outcry about that. The poor people are can't feed, you know, so there's going to be a political issue. There's going to be an outcry and there's going to be possibly legal ramifications on this whole thing and maybe even charge. Well, there are, there are charges. They're already being indicted. So I see this uh, playing out probably in the next uh, real soon because, because it's a hot button issue right now. So that's what I can, I can see uh, happening. So back to what that means to us in the business of ag. It means there's going to be less meat consumption because of the prices. Then there's going to be some turmoil on the uh, processing end. If the processors are forced to do, do a deconsolidation, we've not seen this really before since Ma Bell, right, where the government says you're too big, we're going to break you up. How would that look and how would that affect the consumer? If this high prices create a turmoil, and if these high prices then become a political issue, which they are destined to do and destined to become, then there's going to be pressure on we need to break up these companies. They have too much control. And then what happens? Who buys these processing facilities? So, I mean, we tried this with airlines, and it went the exact opposite, right? Four airlines control 80% of all air travel in the United States, American, United, Delta, and Southwest. So, 
I think there's going to be a call for that, and it's going to be because of high grocery prices. When the consumer can see this every day, and after we get past the riots, this will be the new topic. Take a Coke break. Okay, now here's the big part that matters to you. We go through the trade down. There's going to be different products being consumed, and then we also see higher food prices. Are people going to be harmed only at the bottom end of the economy, uh, the poorer people? In the United States of America, we spend less money on food than any other country. 6.4% of our gross income goes to our food. Think about that. On average, the average American, 6.4% goes to food. So if we end up going to 7% or something because of food price increases, 7.5%, we're still very, very well off. There's only six countries on earth that spend less than 10% of their gross income on food. So... Is it going to harm us? No. Is it going to wreck our economy? No. Our food prices, but they do get a lot of news. Because remember, if it's a food topic, it always becomes a media topic. You know, when there's E. coli and the spinach in, in uh, Colorado, by golly, you know it's going to be a news story. There's always that fear factor issue. Once we get past coronavirus, then it's going to be this fear thing about, oh, people are starving because food has gotten very expensive. Uh, in general, in general, we still are very, very well off compared to other countries. Do you know that in Guatemala, the average Guatemalan spends 41% of her income on food? In Nigeria, the average consumer spends 56% of his income on food. 6.4% here. So what else does this mean for us? <clears throat> now, this is my bigger concern. Agriculture, as you probably know, is counter-cyclical, meaning our economy tends to be almost inverse from what the general economy is. In 2009 and 10 and 11, uh, the average America was really not doing well. Suburban America was hurting. The recession was on. We had all these different, you know, crazy things going on. And agriculture was out here riding high. And now, right before coronavirus happened, we were in the big, biggest hot streak economy that this country had ever seen. 2013, the ag economy started going crappy, right? But the rest of the economy is going great. Agriculture is not only counter-cyclical, agriculture tends to be a harbinger. Sometimes it's a leading indicator. You know how we talk about this thing happens and then something follows that? Last time we saw food price increases of 5.8% was in 1974. If you're not old enough to remember, if you're not an economist, you probably don't know this, but I'll go ahead and share it with you. For you older types, you remember where I'm, you probably know where I'm going with this. 1974, Richard Nixon gets impeached or threatened impeached. He resigns. Vietnam War wrapping up and also the midst of an oil crisis. And what do we have going on right now? We have energy disputes going on between Russia and Saudi Arabia. Kind of messed up the whole oil markets, right? Now gas is cheap. But what if then they succeed in changing the whole world supply, then all of a sudden we have some pressure on that. Luckily, it won't probably happen because the United States has become the world's biggest or second biggest, depending on the year, oil producer. So we're not going to have that like we did in 1974. But you know what happened also in the mid-70s? The uh, stock market got rattled. And then also, this really bad economy set in. And we saw that until the 80s. This could be the situation that we're facing now. The economy has been racked by the coronavirus thing. The economic shutdown did obviously a tremendous amount of damage. Now there's also $8 trillion or $6 trillion of new government debt and more money coming. They're going to throw money at agriculture probably again by summer. They're going to throw more money at uh, possibly uh, just the general consumer. How's that debt get repaid? When you rack up six or eight or 12, some ungodly high number like that, 
then what happens? After we say, okay, we saved the economy, well, now who pays for that? Also, when you throw a bunch of money out there, money becomes worth less, right? So let's just say we took a waitress in Michigan who was making $400 a week and now because of unemployment is making $990 because that's what you can get. That person just got a raise, which means that person now has more money. That also distorts the entire economy, which creates, you guessed it, inflation. So food prices go up 5.8%. I believe this could be the beginning of inflation, which we have not seen since the 1980s. I believe that seeing a big bump in food, because that's the most basic of all things, right? You're not talking about washing machines. You're not talking about cars. You're talking about food. It goes up by a pretty big number historically, right? It's fine if something else goes up by 5.8%, but when food does that in 13-week time frame, hmm, what if it goes up again? I believe that this could be a harbinger could be a leading indicator, if you will, of where our economy is going, that we might actually be introducing inflation because of all the federal stimulus, because we made money worth less by making it so abundant and printing more of it. And then also, this is the first thing. So for those of you who've never lived through an inflationary time, of course, means that your real estate becomes worth more. If you have a cheap interest rate, you might want to make sure you uh, lock that in for a long term because Things are going to change in that regard. Is this going to happen tomorrow? I don't think so. But I just want you to be cognizant of the fact that this has been a leading indicator in other storms. Agriculture could be right now the beginning of this. Uh, what's it also mean? It means that uh, if we have a stagnant economy and inflation, we have what we had in the 1970s, what they called stagflation. It was a very, very bad time. Some of you have heard the story about interest rates being 18%. My family purchased a 49-acre chunk of ground right across the road because you always got to buy the stuff across the road because you fall in love with it, right? For peak prices at 18% interest in 1981. Very promptly, it became worth half that. In less than six months to 12 months, it became worth uh, less than half that, and we were still obligating an 18% interest rate. So we're not going to have that now. <clears throat> but remember, if I'm right that this is the leading indicator, and then one year from now we say, oh my heavens, we've got to pay back all that government debt. We're so indebted. What are we going to do? I mean, this is a terrible situation. We had to combat coronavirus, had to throw money at everything, you know, and $25 million to the Kennedy Center and, and every other ridiculous pork barrel project. It means that we are on the precipice, if you will, of new inflationary pressures. And that means we'll end up with higher interest, which means we'll also have a stagnant economy, which we do right now. This could be here for a while. I'm not predicting that we're going to end up like the 1980s. But we've been saying forever that we in agriculture are holding up really, really well compared to then, right? Our equity position was really good. But we're not really making much money. So... I could be wrong, but I don't think that I am. I will, time will tell, right? That's what we say. In the meantime, <clears throat> in the meantime, I wanted to share with you why this matters. Because when you start seeing countless stories about this, meat stays costly as crunch eases. I think there's going to be legal pressure, political pressure put on the meat companies, the big four. Um, tread cautiously. Will we see a divestiture, a forced divestiture within meat? Possibly. When China keeps rattling its uh, saber and we continue to become more contentious, almost in a cold war, as we've been hearing with China and China owns Smithfield, I think there's going to be some real political pressure put on that. And 
If we see a forced divestiture, you'll know that we'll never have a trade with China ever again. Uh, trust me, if we force them to smell, sell Smithfield, they're not going to be buying soybeans from us. They're going to go to Brazil, although Brazil can't really obligate it. So it's going to get really, really tenuous there for a while. Uh, will we see uh, calls to break up the meat companies? Yes. Is meat going to stay expensive? Yes. Are groceries going to come back down uh, on these high prices? No. And that's because there's so much middle cost. It's not about what we get at the farm. Uh, will we see um, calls to do something uh, from a legal standpoint and political? Absolutely. Other thought on that. Um, all the thought on that is, of course, the inflationary thing. Is, is grocery, is your grocery bill a leading indicator? Is ag is ag a leading indicator right now, as sometimes it has been in the past. So those are the big thoughts for you. By the way, I tried to get three different experts to come on here and talk about meat deconsolidation, and a lot of people are afraid to tackle that topic. So if you know somebody who wants to discuss the meat deconsolidation calls that I think are going to be coming as the DOJ continues to work on this, please have them look me up. In the meantime, thanks for joining me. I am the author of Food Fear. If you've not picked up your copy, please do so. It's available as an audiobook at DamienMason.com. It's available as an ebook at DamienMason.com. And it's available as a hardback. If you're planning a meeting for the year 2020 in the fall, when we can finally get back together again, please give me a call. And if you're looking at your 2021, I'd love to come and speak to your audience. I also can do it virtually. I've been doing more of that lately, as you probably can well imagine. This episode was brought to you by Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit, my good buddy Nick Horeb up there. He's in Fargo, but it doesn't matter where he is because he has customers in 26 states and four Canadian provinces. It's a software solution for your agricultural enterprise. Help you manage your inventory, your grain marketing, your inputs, your outputs, cash flow. All the things that your business does as an ag enterprise can be done better because of using the wonderful technology, the user-friendly technology that is Harvest Profit. Go to harvestprofit.com and look at what Nick has for you. He's got great articles on that site also talking about things you can use for your business. <clears throat> Most of us in ag are really good at producing what we produce. We are amazing at producing. We don't always think about the grocery and we always say things critical of our customers like, well, they think food comes from the grocery store. Well, for them it does. And they're paying more for it. And I look beyond that. Remember the old thing of, okay, what next? Let's connect the dots. You're going to see calls to break up the meat companies. You're going to continue to have high grocery prices. There's going to be more pressure uh, from the consumer, and there's even going to be some political pressure about the meat breakups. I'm absolutely convinced they're going to call for some deconsolidation or even di divestitures by force, my prediction. Is this a harbinger of what's to come? Are we going to see inflationary pressures? I believe we might because we just racked up a whole bunch of government debt, and we've got, uh, we've got historically low interest rates right now, but inflationary pressures could start with food. Till next time, I'm Damian Mason. Thanks for being here. You know, I really enjoy you hopping in. And uh, again, if you know somebody wants to talk about meat at a deeper level, that's somebody that's really in the industry, have them look me up because I'm trying to find an expert in meat. Thanks so much. Till next time. Thanks for being here. Follow me. Please remember what I said. Go to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Thanks so much. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Business of Agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, 
Go to DamianMason.com.